1: and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com ACAST.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
0: very excited on Valentine's Day, also known as Galentine's Day, to welcome (laughs) Kira Jackson to the podcast. Um, She is one of my nearest and dearest friends. She is also the head of partnerships at RX3, which is a growth fund. And she actually switched careers in the last year. She was a very high up PR and marketing executive for most of her life, and now has gone to the finance, private equity side, which is an amazing transition and a very hard shift to make. So super proud of her. She is also an amazing angel investor to uh, direct to consumer brands, consumer products, and an advisor as well, and has helped many companies gain the status that they have today. Oh, and also she's an amazing content creator um, On TikTok, guys, everyone go follow her. I think Aww. it's Kira McKenzie. Yeah. Yes, on TikToks. It's amazing. She does really cool, like, intersection of investing, yet modern content to kind Thank of make you. it in layman terms for people to actually get behind it. So, yeah, with that, welcome to the pod, Kira. We're I'm so excited honored. to have you.
2: Thank you for having me, guys. I'm <laughs> so excited for, for this conversation. And that was an incredible intro. Let me know if you, you ever want it. me to do it again. I probably will. I'm glad this is recorded. I'll just play it in my car as my affirmation in the morning. (laughs) Exactly. Affirmation. So so we typically start
0: every episode of What's the Point with asking a couple high-level questions. First off, what is your definition of fulfillment and success?
2: And are they related at all or are they two
0: separate things for you?
2: Yeah, that is such a good question. I know I had a little bit of a preview from prior episodes that this was coming, so I did a little (laughs) bit of homework, but I can't say I've come up with an amazing answer. It's more of like a bunch of strings of answers that I hope will tie together eventually. I was at an event recently, and this is like the best example of what I think success looks like. It was like a female founder, and investor dinner, incredible people around this like long sprawling table in Candace's backyard, the founder of Sprinkles. It was absolutely beautiful. And we went around the table and the prompt for everybody was what's your fuck you number what is the number that you are like i want to make that amount of money in my life and i will be happy and every single one of these women and i think it's also kind of like a socket to the man sort of mm-hmm. question and response which is amazing i i'm feminist in that sense mm-hmm. um but every woman going around the table had you know a different number and one was higher than the last and it was just in the billions what how much does elon have i want that and i was like i love this idea of sort of <laughs> like I don't know. I I love the idea of making money being equated to success. I understand that. But when it came around to me and I was at the end of the table, I realized that there was literally no amount of money that would make me feel happy or successful or would take away my imposter syndrome when I walked into a room. For me, it was about, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think, Annabelle, just in our private conversations as well. But for me, success is no longer having to prove yourself. It's not having an Instagram and posting, you know, humble brags. It's not having, Mm -hmm. in in my case, a TikTok. I really enjoy TikTok (laughs) because I think it's educational and a wonderful tool. But it's, it's just a world where you can live in Montana on a farm with horses and be comfortable and love your life and not have to prove yourself to anybody. So that's success. And then I think fulfillment is more of like, The micro. What does that look like on a daily basis? Sort of thing. Like success can be the macro, but fulfillment is the feeling you have on a daily basis.
0: What a beautiful answer! Yeah, I love that answer. I'm honored. Thank you for sharing that analogy with us. So, did no one around that table say anything to go along with what you said? It was just all a number.
2: No, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that this is sort of like. And I don't want to shit on girl boss culture because I think it's wonderful that it's like elevating women to feel confident in those roles. I think that's critical. But I do think that quote unquote girl boss culture is associated with the fuck you number. And I wish that it was associated with that level of confidence and fulfillment that most women honestly never really get to feel, especially in the industry that I'm now in versus you know, where I used to be working with women for 10, 10-ish years.
0: Yeah. It's a
1: conditioning thing. Yeah. I completely agree. I think it's in general in society, like in a wider lens, if I'm really thinking about it, we've all been conditioned, especially our parents' generation to be like money equals success equals happiness. Yeah, And to some degree, money does give you access. It gives you the comfort to buy that farm and to do the things you want to do. And that's kind of a sad part of our culture and in Mm -hmm. this country that buys education and it buys healthcare and the things therapy as we just talked about yeah yeah. and like that's sad because it buys you those amazing delicious comforts that can make your life very full but at the same time we have lost like I do agree and I think it's it's not just women it's men too but it's like we've become, I actually think it's probably worse for men because like they're so focused on making money because that's such a part of their worth. And the truth is like we all really? need to
2: be finding our whys, not our worth, right? Yeah, this is actually, it's funny that you bring that up. It's a conversation I have with my husband a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I think we talk a lot about, you know, women being conditioned. I, I love that the media is more open to having conversations about inequalities in gender, et cetera, an opportunity as a result of kind of like inequalities amongst diverse sets. But I do think there is something to be said for the box that we put our men into. And I don't want to be like the person that says that. And I understand there's probably a connotation associated, but I I have a wonderful husband and I would love for my husband to be proud of himself, more proud of himself as, you know, a dog dad or my husband or an incredible son and brother before he thinks about himself as, and honestly, even an amazing lawyer. You know, I would love that he finds fulfillment in just being great at what he does, but ultimately it comes down to like, you know, your billable hours and Mm -hmm. your hourly rate. And it's just, that's the way that society equates
1: success. Yeah, we've completely created that which is perfect for Valentine's Day, but we it can hits. talk about relationships. Like I think I've actually went through a breakup 2 days ago. <laughs> oh, and no. So currently so we love you jazz. <laughs> so fresh and more than my own feelings right now. I am thinking a lot about him and mm-hmm. I'm thinking a lot about how he feels and who is he talking to? Who does he get to talk to about this? Like I yeah. have an army around me. I had six people at my house yesterday. I had people, three people on FaceTime. I had people texting me and calling me. I'm so lucky and cultivating that sort of vulnerability in those relationships, which does, I think, add a lot of your fulfillment. I know, especially for Annabelle and I, we're such people, mm-hmm. people. Yeah um we're such extroverts in that way but it's like i went to my parents' house yesterday and i i was just like all i can think about is a like yes i'm heartbroken that about this myself and i'm heartbroken that he feels all of these things that might not be true but i'm heartbroken that he might not have anyone to go to and it's in parallel a friend of mine's wedding just got called off and same thing like i we were both oddly like even though he might have initiated that it's yeah. like men need help. Like, I don't, I, and I don't actually think being
0: like, fuck men is the answer.
2: One thousand. I completely
0: agree. Like, I think that's beautiful, Jasmine, to say that, like, regardless of what happened with you and your ex, like, you still have so much compassion and empathy for him that he doesn't have the army of support that you do. And again, to what you were saying, Kira, is like, you know, we associate so much our worth with our accomplishments yeah. externally, right? It's So it's not just men, it's women too. So people are like, are you fulfilled? And automatically Jasmine and I will think about our career and be like, no, I'm not fulfilled. Or yes, I am fulfilled. Totally. But why don't I think about like my amazing husband or my amazing family that I'm building or the house that I have? Like those those things are great accomplishments too. Yet the first thing I think about is my career when I associate it with fulfillment yeah, right. So yeah. it's just like a a common fallacy, I think for all of us and I think for women at least the conversation is starting to become more vulnerable. Hopefully for men, that movement starts to continue. I think yeah. it, it has started a little bit. But as you said, it's hard for men to start to kind of like start subscribing to that because so much of their worth from like, being an infant is tied with, like, protecting and, totally and providing. And providing.
2: Yeah, it's so—yeah, that's the other thing, too, is, like, one of the other strings that I was, like, pulling on when I was trying to come up with the right answer to that question—of <laughs> course there is none—was sort of this notion of, like, fulfillment or success could just be that every person that you touch in life, when they think about you, they think about, like, warm fuzzies. Like, they think— That was cheesy, but they think like how wonderful you are and how much you supported them or helped them in their moment of need. I think success is also like your reputation and that can be something that you build and cultivate that also reflects success.
0: I think that's a great point to bring up because I think reputation is everything and it's not something You can wake up one day and change. Like Reputation is something that you're continuously building. And it's like, how do you want to be known? How do you want to be seen? And it's not just for everyone outside. It's like, what do you want? How do you want to show up? Like, what makes you proud to show up?
2: Yes. And I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in what the public sees. And I think that's why social media has has taken this turn. But I think it's really interesting to start thinking about, like, what is that answer in private conversations or behind closed doors? Like what are people, what are people saying about your character, about your influence, about your impact that maybe isn't something that you can put in like your Instagram bio,
1: you know? Yeah. I think we're so caught up in what's big. Yeah. Like I will say, like I've always said, for some reason, we only have huge parties to celebrate when we meet a man. We don't celebrate, you know, just being alive or you know, getting at that new job as a woman, you know, all of those things. And I do think it's like the things that you can tangibly show people. Yes. But like I've been in relationships where I was really unhappy and it's like, yeah, I can show you I'm in that relationship. But what does that actually mean for like the day to day and being happy? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of this idea of like fulfillment being big or being digestible and approved of by what everyone else thinks of you. So it's like if it's something that on paper looks fulfilling and amazing and glamorous to everyone else, yes. then it's right, but the truth is that's actually not it, right? Like, we all have different things like for you it could be just like you're like I love this TikTok avenue I'm doing mm-hmm. and I love it's just like this small part of what I'm creating and it makes me really happy.
2: Yeah. I mean it's this is on a more micro level but I learned a really interesting lesson last night actually. I created a TikTok that was about Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. (laughs) It was about um, her whipping out her Fenty powder and touching up a shoe. And I basically said it was the best commercial of Super Bowl, and it wasn't a commercial. And I stand by that. But that video has gone absolutely bonkers. It's gone viral. And, you know, I've had a couple like larger videos, but this was to an extent that I hadn't seen before. And interestingly enough, that viral video, I got excited when I saw the number climbing of views and likes and shares and whatever, but that viral video ended up attracting, I don't want to say the wrong type of person, but it just hit the wrong side of TikTok. And it attracted people that were not aligned with like my message and the impact I wanted to make and the community I wanted to build. And I think it's really interesting when you think about like macro being sort of the focus, big moments being your foundational success, like that big moment might've looked really good if you look at the numbers. But when I go through the comments or when I see like how it impacts like the day to day of what I'm building, the impact was actually so much smaller than, you know, a smaller video that I had that brought the people that were actually aligned with what I was looking to create if that makes sense. Completely. That takes
0: a level of complete self-awareness to even recognize that the difference between, right, the macro and the micro and how it impacts you versus how it may look to the world, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you always have that level of
2: self-awareness
0: just in general, like
2: in your life? Oh my gosh. I think it's a positive and a negative. I have, but I think that that's also the root of imposter syndrome I think there's a world where you can be so clear on how you appear and how it impacts you, how that appearance impacts you. And I'm not just talking like physical. And I've always had that where I'm, I walk into a, I think that's why I sort of like chameleon into different conversations. I match like vocal tones. I've noticed since working in private equity, this is so weird. I've noticed my voice has kind of like gotten a little bit Deeper, a little raspier, which is kind of weird. I um Whoa. yeah. I'm also coming off of Super Bowl weekend. So <laughs> it could very well just be like my voice. I lost a little bit of my voice. But I I do think that like I match tones when I go into rooms and have conversations. And that could be like levels of excitement, it could be pitch, it could be word choice or verbiage. But I think that comes from like almost an unhealthy amount of self-awareness that can manifest itself really positively. And I think that's a great representation of it, but it can also be kind of devastating. So it can also veer you
0: into like more of the people-pleasing route, right? Doing things that others are doing because like you think that's what you should do when you walk into a room, you should fit into like their mold versus your authentic self.
2: Yes. And I think a lot, I don't know if this is like a normal sort of level of self-awareness. I don't have that barometer, but I do think that anybody with any level of self-awareness walks into the room and feels that sort of response. Like, do I fit in? How do I fit in? And it's almost like a moment of fight or flight. I've started going to less events because large rooms of tons of people are sort of intimidating to me now because I can't chameleon to everybody in such a large setting wow. and I'm much better one-on-one. I don't know if that's like a psychosis. It's so psychosis interesting. I
1: know I have thing. that same thing. I noticed so it interesting. in a meeting. I'll be like, am I talking too much? Am I interrupting? Am I saying this well? Am I saying like too much? I'm like constantly monitoring who I am and how I appear. And I actually am curious if men do that. Like, I feel like men don't walk in a room and they think like, do I have value is what I'm saying important? Like, I don't just, not because they're, again, I don't want to be like, fuck you men. I think. They're not built to be to question themselves, to question themselves in that way. Yeah. Like women are constantly having to monitor how they might come off. Yeah. And then it's still what you're, you learn through life. It's like it's still not you can monitor all you want, but it doesn't matter. Like ultimately, you're going to be viewed through the lens of that person anyway. So oh, if totally. you're like, you know, strong and the guy is like oh, this alpha woman, like mm-hmm. he's going to see that no matter what. And if you're soft spoken, he's going to be like that
0: woman's weak. No matter what, so oh, I think yeah. there's exactly it's it's not about like thinking about how you come off because you need to realize that everyone has their own like their own perspectives about um it's not others personal. it's not personal at all yeah. and you you, yeah. you can't start thinking so much about what everyone else thinks and start questioning yourself. If you want to say something and it feels in line with your authentic self, you need to just put it out there. You can't be responsible for other people's insecurities and other people's shit. That's not your own. That's theirs. And if they want to see you in their lens, that's great. But that's not you.
2: I think this is also like when you look at companies who are raising capital, this is what I see a lot is sort of like. You obviously get a lot of no's before you get a yes when you're raising money, and that's just like right time, right place, right person, all the rights. But there are such unique biases. Like you can talk about you can talk about firm mandates. You know, like the the firm I work for, we invest post Series A. Like there's a check size that we have that we have to hit. There's a level of involvement from a value add that needs to be like checked. There are, we we have a checklist of like firm sort of like thesis and mandates. But then you're also dealing with like individual partner mandates and kind of like not necessarily mandates, but more so biases. So to your point, it's like this level of rejection in in any industry, but I see it very intimately in, in private equity, is sort of like it's not personal. And you could have the most perfect deck, the most perfect pitch the most incredible business that's profitable, whatever. It's it's gold stars all around. And you will walk into a room and be subject to the person on the other tables or the other side of the table's bias. And that's just something you can never control.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I always say you the only thing in life you control is your reactions mm-hmm. and actions and Go your attitude. And that's it. You cannot control other people's behavior. So what you can control is when you get the no and the rejection, how you act and how you take that internally. But you're not going to be able to change someone else's viewpoint because to your point, Kira, you know, everyone has their own lens that they're looking at it from, whether it's a business sense, personal insecurity sense, or, or whatever it may be.
2: Yeah. And I think that comes back to like the conversation we were having earlier about your breakup. It's like there are just things that you... That you genuinely cannot control and it does, it comes down to like, how do you respond? Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, I mean, and this is,
1: I've had this experience in this relationship that just ended and beyond. um, And even with friendships. Yeah. And even in business, like now that I think about it, where I think about what's the story I'm telling myself and what what am I looking at so if I'm going into a room and I'm like that guy doesn't respect what I have to say and that's my story that's all I'm going to see coming in and out Mm -hmm. of that meeting and if I you know have I have like a trauma which is like sounds silly but it's like I was super young when this happened I had a good friend of mine date my ex-boyfriend behind my back and it was yeah it was brutal but it was mostly like about my friend just lying to yeah. me and feeling betrayed and I was very whatever. And that haunts me to this day and I've done a lot of work around it, but I just felt like not worthy of, uh, of honesty and respect and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting because it's almost easier to stick with a painful story yeah. than it is to trust in a newer, less painful story that serves you. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with my breakup. Like I can tell him all of these different things, but ultimately he's gonna believe what he wants to believe based on his history his history, what he believes about me, what he believes about the world. And I know it's more painful for him, but it's easier almost. It's like a safe space to be
2: a victim. Yes. You know? That's and what.
1: you're comfortable in it. And I've done it a million times too. Yeah. So even this morning, my friend was like, I know it's your your tendency in breakups to think everything's your fault, but like why don't you try a different story? Like maybe just there's duality here, you know? Mm-hmm. How did you get here? And I think we all need to be really careful of that, which is, comes back to the women in business thing. Yeah, That's why I don't want to perpetuate this like fuck men Yes, energy because then we're just creating that. Like we're validating that over and over again. And I'm sure you're seeing it well, I guess I want to ask you, you, yeah. you are seeing that in real time, right?
2: Oh, of course. And I, I have to catch myself when I walk into rooms to not just immediately think of myself as the underdog. Right. Which is interesting. That's your story. To, yeah. You have to be able to recognize your value and be comfortable and confident in owning that. And I think for me right now, that's still a little bit of like a fake it till you make it. And I think that's okay. I don't know if you ever do make it, but imposter syndrome is just like a very real day-to-day for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of people out there. And the more I tell myself that, the more it's going to exist. A
1: hundred percent. The more you're looking for that validation almost, you're trying to validate your pain. You're like, see, I am the underdog. And then then it's like, plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like I've done I do this all the time, you know?
2: Yeah, and I love dinners like that. I think that they're so important to cultivate community, especially around these sorts of arenas that are traditionally very, you know, masculine or, or male centric. But I do think that there's a harm to like perpetuating that that
0: anecdote. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I actually think so for me, I used to feel very like I would always go into comparison mode with Aaron, my husband. Um, I would look at his work ethic. I would look at like how much he's accomplished. He's my age, like accomplished in business again, not personal. Right. Because that's what we look at. (laughs) Um, And I would see how hard he works and how often he's on his computer and on calls and thinking and all this. And I'm like, why am I not doing that? (laughs) Right. And in the last years through therapy and coaching and things like that, I've started to see it as an expander instead of, you know, the comparison mindset and using it as like, I should be doing that. And now I look at him and I'm like, what can I learn from him? Like, okay, he's very good at playing to his strengths. He's very good at staying in his zone of genius. So why don't I use that lesson and use that for myself? And what I realized really quickly is my zone of genius is not what he does at all. My zone of genius is outside the house, developing relationships, meeting people, partnerships. I'm a people person. Aaron, my husband, is an amazing operator. He's so good at what he does, and a lot of his time is spent on the phone and on computers. And if I just used a typical comparison and just stared at him, like, sitting at my computer, I would feel incredibly unfulfilled because that's not mine. So it took a second to, like, you know, step back and be like, why am I comparing his micro? Why am I not just like using him him as an example, zooming out again, macro? What is he doing that I could potentially do in my unique way? Because we're all unique individuals and now using him as a role model and expander for me. And so I think this, like, again, fuck you men culture, it's like, instead of looking at them as like, oh, they have this and and I need to make this much money and whatever. It's like, what can we also learn from them? Because in my career, men have really helped me, right? Like finding the key men, like have empowered me, have gotten me to great places, have invested in me, who given me chances to succeed and given me so many opportunities. And if you've used men as a viewpoint of like, oh, like they're out to get me or they undermine me or all of these things, even if some of that can be true, then you're also doing yourself a disservice. 100%.
1: Well, that's why I also my friend and i who is going through this breakup as well now she's like we need to help men like me- yeah. well cuz it's like okay if you think about it if a child not to compare men to children but it's like if a child is like bullying at school yeah you wouldn't like bully them back yeah. and be like fuck you like right. that's not productive why are we going against them don't we need mm-hmm. to help them we need to like love them through this yeah. like and i think we've already had the wave of like empowering women and we should continue to do that, but we should also empower men to be more in touch with, like, we're just trying to adapt to what's flawed in our society versus yeah. like helping men meet us where we are. Because as you said, and I spoke about this with someone who lives in my building, actually, it's not a bad thing to want a male partner in a business and to like utilize each other's no. strengths to get ahead. I think that's, that's what good partnership is, romantic partnership, right?
2: Yeah. So no, I think it's interesting. I think it's kind of like we just need to level out the playing field regardless of gender and come to like some semblance of like societal acceptance of like success, but then also fulfillment. And I think that there are varying kind of like levels on each side for men and women based off of you know traditional gender norms. And I think it's really interesting when you start thinking about, like, the work that we can do and the work that they can do and how that's going to, like, ultimately up-level society as a whole.
1: Do you feel, like, in your industry right now, like, do you think – I don't know much about about the inside of it. I know it's, like, predominantly male. Um, Do you feel like you've spoken very vulnerably about how you show up and, like, kind of how you question yourself You know, I mean, I don't know how much this works, but these big tech companies will put in place systems to like break those barriers, be more human at work, whatever. Do you feel like there's a trend in your industry that's going in that direction or is it just still old school, like male dominated?
2: You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that we're moving in this direction of, and I feel, I feel this sort of shift in my gut. And I think if it's not already starting to swell, it will come. I do think that there is a shift in private equity or just like private capital market investing towards democratization amongst capital allocators. And I think that that's really exciting in the sense that, A, you're going to have people with unique backgrounds, unique perspectives that are looking at different companies in different ways and also have different pools of sort of like where their relationships lie. Versus kind of like the echo chamber, I think that we've seen in like the Silicon Valley VC world. Uh, so there's that side, and then I also think that's going to trickle down in a really exciting way to the companies that are being funded, and I think we'll see much more diversity amongst those companies in the coming years, which is something that I'm personally probably even more excited about. I, I think having diversity amongst you know investors is important, but I also think that it's more of like a means to an end. And that end is like, are we funding the businesses that are ultimately going to drive culture forward and promote representation across diverse seas of people versus sort of like the one guy that has traditionally had his needs met.
1: So you do feel like a positive shift, at least in your gut.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of that is coming from Gen Z. I think a lot of that is coming Mm -hmm. from social media. I think a lot of that is coming from, like democratizing access to education around investing and and access to investment opportunities. I mean, I re- I recognize that the majority of what I'm saying in this conversation comes from like a very privileged place. And I understand that. I, I You know, in order to invest in private companies, you need to be an accredited investor. There are thresholds in terms of like net worth in order to be able to accomplish that or income. And I do recognize that. But I do think that there is – just the baseline of understanding that, you know, women or men or whoever, anybody can walk into school and realize when they leave school or they don't go to school or whatever, that they can skip the line. And I think that that's something that has been sort of limited knowledge to the 1% or point whatever 1%. You don't have to work year in and year out for a salary and live paycheck to paycheck. And I'm not, I don't want to keep bringing it back to money, but like ultimately that's the industry in which I work. Like you can build something that you're passionate about and you can sell it and you can use that money to create something else that you're passionate about or fund other people's passions. And I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's, it's so exciting to think about people living up to their full potential and having the freedom and the education required in order to do so. Yeah.
0: And you know what? You're like a great example of this because I remember you saying, like in school, that you were not good at math, and automatically they were like, oh, you suck at finance. Like, you'll never be good. And look at you now, like, you're in private equity, you're in this industry, and you're also working on modernizing this industry and helping this shift happen. So I think, exactly to your point, like, there's a shift that's happening. There's a lot more like diversity going. Like, you don't have to go to college to do all these things, you don't have to like, do your MBA. You don't have to follow all the rules, right? You can create your own path and still get to where you are. I think what's tricky is when you're told constantly that you need, you can't get into the VC industry. You didn't have this much experience or you weren't good at math. Like you're not good at finance. All these things that we're told constantly really impact like our career. Mm -hmm. Were there things that like you were told that helped develop this like imposter syndrome for you? Like, do you feel like that's, there's a root, Cause of the imposter syndrome from things that you were told growing up.
2: Ooh, that is a really good question. You know what? Yes, this is uh, this is weird, and again, it comes from a privileged perspective. But most of my like young adult life was I knew I was pretty from a young age. I think is kind of like the baseline, and I think that when you have something that is that other people want, that is distracting it is very easy for people to assume that is the whole you. And I think we also, you know, we come from a generation that's kind of like bridging the gap between this modern mentality of like Gen Z, Gen A, and millennials and boomers. And I I think the millennial boomer sort of like older generation mindset is like leverage your superpower, work your way to the top, the American dream kind of vibe. And, you know, some people it's, It's their intellect. Some people, it's their connections. And some people, it's how they look on the outside. And I think, as women, again, not to bring it back to women, but I think it is very easy for women to be categorized and have their worth sort of predicated on their appearance. So I think for me, people told me, I've always also been smart. My mom was actually, I, I credit her a lot. She, said my favorite quote that i've ever heard to this day it's every time that somebody would tell me that i was pretty or that her her daughter was so cute or you know she's going to be such a stunner when she wakes up or when she grows up or whatever my mom would always say oh yeah but she's she's twice as smart as she is pretty and i would always hear that and that was all i remembered but obviously the people who said that i was pretty they never cared they never thought about that and it's not just men you know women do it to other women so i think it's a little bit limiting I actually saw something really recently on TikTok too. There's something called obviously pretty privilege that we know about. But what I like more is this new trend towards energy privilege. And that's about like what energy you put out in the world. And again, comes back to like why I chameleon. If your energy is something that other people like, then you'll have doors opened for you in a very similar way. And I like sort of that shift into it feels a little bit manipulative, but at least it's something that you can control So to your point, I mean, I I think the the first thing is just like a lot of my worth was put on my appearance. And I think that made it hard for me to be okay with being, you know, really smart or really hardworking.
0: So how do you now walk into a room and command the respect that you deserve?
2: Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Like I look how I look and I'm five foot two and I probably look like I'm five years younger than I actually am. And all of that is are things that I'm going to be very grateful for when I'm in my fifties and sixties and beyond. but now it's it's definitely difficult and it feels like something I do have to surmount. I think the first thing is being open to recognizing your own unique value, and you referenced this when you talked about like your superpower, your sparkle, and it was different than Aaron's. you know your husband has something phenomenal he's built an incredible career and life off of it, the career and life that you're building is based off of your own sort of like superpower. I think that if you can recognize that about yourself and do the inner work in order to be able to identify that and then harness it, it's much easier to be confident in those rooms because it doesn't matter what other people think about what you say or what you do. It only matters that you know you recognize it and it ladders back to like what makes you special. So you think that
1: you recognizing your own value, which I do agree with to some degree, but just for clarity, yeah, is the most important thing. So long as you know your own value in a room, and I, I'm I'm going to actually bring this back to relationships too. Yeah. Knowing your value in a relationship is the most important thing. I guess my question is for both of you, my married women, <laughs> and, <laughs> is do you feel valued and seen for your unique value, both at work and in your relationships, both romantic and platonic, because to be completely vulnerable, like I often didn't feel that like, I, I don't know, it's a hard thing to say. Like I sometimes felt very seen, but I, for some reason, didn't feel super like I had a lot of value in this person's life and I would constantly go back and forth between like is this me not knowing my own value and projecting my own insecurity onto this person? Or is this me being not seen and valued for what I mean? You know, so I think there's like, cause there's both, right? And then you choose your work, your relationships accordingly.
0: Yeah. I think just to feed off that question too, I think it depends how vulnerable you are with your partner For them to be able to see you in a certain way. Like if I was super surface level with Aaron and like everything's fine, like Mm -hmm. all that, and I didn't share what's actually going on, then I don't think he would be able to see me and hear me and support me from my authentic self. But because I'm fortunate to have a relationship that's very vulnerable and open and we're both emotionally developed enough to have these type of conversations, I do feel incredibly seen. And to the point where a lot of my bigger moves have come from me voicing something and Aaron pushing me to follow through with it because sometimes I will like shy away from making a shift because again, it's easier to stay in that pattern and that story, as we've talked about, right? It's easier to stay in victimhood. Mm -hmm. But when you have someone, a partner who really sees you and who knows something's not right, they're not going to let you just wallow. They're going to like push you to become your best self. So that's what I think on like the partner side. And I think on the work side I think it's important every so often to really take inventory. And it's like, am I actually fulfilled by my job right now? And honestly, the last year and a half, like, I would say no, right? Now I'm proactively making a shift, taking more of a backseat and breeze and doing a lot of other things that bring me so much joy, like this podcast, like coaching, like consulting with cool brands, investing. Yeah. Um, and all of those things feel more natural and seamless to me. But it took a long time to get there. It took a lot of like me pushing resistance and forcing and then realizing that that's not sustainable. That's just making me miserable. And why am I actually doing this? again for the external big picture so a post on Instagram like I did this and look what it looks like and I'm the founder yeah. of this but at the end of the day that's just external and internally I'm not happy so I don't know if that answered your question Jasmine but I think both of them are separate and I think it's important and I appreciate you asking the question on the relationship side too because automatically I always veer to the career side mm-hmm. before thinking about the relationship side and Sometimes I need to take a step back and think about the relationship side and come from a place of tremendous gratitude to have that, to have someone who's willing to work with me, to push me and to hear about my insecurities and to feel seen and to feel heard so that I can show up in a better place in my career in my my personal relationships and other things like that. I have a follow-up question and then I want you to answer the same thing. <laughs> but do you feel like
1: you do the opposite for Aaron? Like, do you think he's very vulnerable about what his where his insecurities lie
0: and that you're able to push him? 100%. I think, how however, he, receives that. he. I don't think he received it until COVID time where we both had the time and space to take a step out, take inventory of our lives to learn how to meditate, learn how to be still, Mm -hmm. like be in nature. And now he's much more receptive. And that's not something I take for granted because Aaron has softened a lot since COVID. So in the last two and a half years, I feel like we've been able to have much deeper open and vulnerable questions to the point where I'm able to say, Hey, Aaron, like I've noticed something that you're doing. Like, I think there can be this little tweak and it needs to just come from a place of like, you know, very much not like a nag and not like I'm pointing blame or telling you you're doing something wrong, more so like, I just want to help you become better. And then he needs to also not be defensive about my comments and feedback. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes I say things from a place of insecurity to him, which makes him feel threatened and whatnot. And then he's defensive and all that. So it's all, I think it's in the communication style and how you say it.
2: Yeah. I mean I think it's the whole point is that it's not easy. You know, I the whole point is that you marry, I mean, hopefully knock on wood, you marry one person and that is your person. So the fact that it takes a long time to find that person, that it could take a long time to find that person who is sort of that like I don't want to say other half because no person is a half, but like that partner in life it should be that way. I I feel like it should be difficult. It should be a challenge. I feel lucky. That is why I married my husband. He is my number one cheerleader, and transparently, I need to do a better job of being that for him, uh, which we can get into. But you know, on the career side too, I think it's a little bit less. It's a little less pressure, honestly. Like on the career side, you can test and learn. You can fail. You can work with people that don't inspire. You can work with people that do. Uh, And you're only dedicating, you know, a couple years of your life or 10 years or one year, three months or whatever. There's much more flexibility in that, I would say, than there is flexibility in the finding your partner piece. It's
0: a really interesting way to look at it. I never really thought about Mm -hmm. it like that. Because I think so often we mold our identities to our job. Yeah. And I at least find that it's so hard or it used to be so hard for me to shift. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think the thing that came easy for me was being in a relationship. Like I always had boyfriends and it's very natural for me to be in a relationship, right? You're also a good partner,
2: I think, is sort of like...
0: Yeah. But it's it's harder on the career side for me to shift, even though, to your point, those things are all very temporary. They could be three months. They could be a year. Like there's flexibility in that. I guess I don't always see it that way, but that's like a really interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like you could be a better partner? How do you feel like you can make him feel more heard and valued so that you can get to a place of more like emotional vulnerability together?
2: Yeah, I mean, Valentine's Day is special. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am a really difficult person to be in a relationship with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> please
1: please. Truthfully,
0: yeah, more.
2: And also, what's
1: your sign out of curiosity? I'm a
2: Taurus. Okay, and my ex boyfriends a Taurus. Oh, uh, yeah. A little a little stubborn, a little like. Very stubborn. Truthfully, I'm not as into Zodiac signs as I am into human design. That's I like love a very, human
1: design. Okay, what's your human design? I'm
2: obsessed. I'm a manifester.
1: You're a manifester. What are you? Are you We're a project- We're both projectors. Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah, yeah. This makes complete sense yeah. that you'd have a podcast. Um <laughs> But I do. I, I really, I really love. It really resonates with to me
0: too. I, I love. You it. guys need to have a debrief. Yes,
2: we will. As an aside on that, though, specifically, I do think that like zodiacs and human design are really smart tools. You don't have to believe everything, but I do think that they are great tools to sort of like give you a hall pass for life and your identity. Like it is a great way to say, okay, I have negative qualities, but hey, they're a part of my design and that's okay. And here's how I'm going to like live with them or integrate them into my daily routine. So that's one thing. But um, me being a difficult partner, let's, yeah, let's get back to that. Um, (laughs) I, I, I'm very, very hard on the people that I love. Me too. This is part of my breakup. You just, you hold them to... And I think it is because you're probably hard on yourself. Yes. So like you hold yourself to a standard and you expect other people to be at that standard. And that has been the hardest thing for me in my relationship because no two people are the same. Mm -hmm. And just because I do things a certain way does not mean that everybody else around me has to do the same in order for them to like be valuable or successful or for me to appreciate them. What's your love language? I actually don't know.
1: Yeah, and she doesn't know her attachment style either, but we do need to, need to oh, I want to cry. Because I do, I am, well, I also, so I noticed that I'm, and actually this partner was very valuable in helping me see this in a really, like, I think because I loved him most of any partner I'd been with, but he was like, I think you're a little addicted to conflict. It all circles back, being addicted to your story, yes. eating the victim. Yes. And it took a while, but I finally was like, You know what, you're right. Like I and I really don't want to be that person in any relationship. Yeah. And coming back to like accountability and stories, I think there's sort of a I was like, my mom was a little bit of a nitpicker and I think it was because her dad was a nitpicker. It's just generations of nitpickers. And I don't know if that's something you grew up with or you had someone in your family who was kind of like, you know, hard on you, but then you just end up playing that out in your relationships. But I mean Love your husband for clearly putting up with it with grace.
2: We we love him. We love him. Um, I can't even tell you how many times I yell at him for having shoes on the carpet, which is just like something that I heard my entire childhood or when I was young. I would sit with my elbow like this on the table. I mean, it's not like a terrible. I'm not like slouching over my dinner plate, but like I would sit with my elbow on the table, and my dad would take a fork and he would just like. Oh my god, my mom.
1: My mom would same thing. She'd be. (laughs) and and then but then you end up passing I do I do the same thing and you have to be careful because I don't want to be like that with my kid exactly and there is a level of like how do you teach them something but also not like make them feel like everything that they do is wrong
2: yeah Annabelle I'm thinking of you because this is like
0: it's really hard I'm reading a book now called conscious parent and it's all about like You need to put death to your ego and not project your unmet needs and your past patterns and your past stories onto this little human. Instead, you need to like let them like flourish and let their true essence shine. But it's so hard not to put things on this child, let alone like your partner, too. I was just going to say All of these things that you know, were told to you as a kid. Like I was, you know, again, this like perfect little girl, like as a kid and like always did things exactly. And like, I do not want that on my child, you know, or to project on my partner. So it's like, I need to deal with those things personally and put my ego aside and parent from the place of love and like discovering this person's like true essence versus my own shit. And it's much easier said than that. I feel
1: like this book is what I need to read before entering my next reading <laughs> You need to be a conscious yeah, I will gift you this book. You know, because there yeah. is a level of like... <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you kind of become... I wonder if it's something psychological with being a woman too, like as a mother. But there yeah. is something about like becoming that role. Yeah. And I'm- it's just familial. You play out your relationships with your parents in your, like your primary, with mm-hmm. your new primary attachment. But yeah, like it's... We can't really do that on anything. We can't
0: even do that with our jobs. So Kira, though, let me ask you, how are you like proactively working to make your husband feel more seen and valued for who he is and putting away your unmet needs or projections on him?
2: Uh, I think the biggest thing is I'm trying not to take it personally. I think in the past, I used to think about him not doing a dish or... (laughs) Him wearing shoes on the carpet, this is so embarrassing.
0: No, it really resonates. It really resonates, and I know
2: our audience, it will resonate. Okay. Like, we— Literally, I used to think that him leaving out, you know, a mug after having coffee was, like, a personal attack (laughs) on, like, me and my space. It was like a war waged. And my not self, if you're familiar with human design, is anger. So my immediate response is anger. When most people get disappointed or frustrated or sad, like, I go straight to anger. So for me, it literally felt so personal. All of these tiny little things that he would do that he just grew up in a different kind of household. And his household was much more, like, loose and free. And mine was very regimented. So yeah, it felt like he was kind of invading my space. So it's just a conscious effort. Every time I see a dish, I just think it's not personal. And then I make the decision of like, do I leave it out? And do I use this as a learning lesson? Or do I just put it away and shut the fuck up? And and what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? More often than not, these days, I am putting it away. And there's a part of me that kind of hates myself for that. But when I think about The long term impact of like those nitpicks on my relationship, I would way rather that my husband was an amazing dad and played with our dog and my future child and that he remembers to charge the car because I never do. Like, I need to celebrate what he's amazing at and the person that I want him to be versus trying to make him this whole complete person that also is a robot and does everything I want him to do. So, so wise. I'm trying. Well, it sounds wise. It's again, easier said than done, but I'm playing the long game is the way I'm kind of thinking about it.
0: And are you working on this like by
2: yourself? Do you have a therapist, coach? Oh yeah. Therapist for sure. That is a new development thanks to you actually. (laughs) Um, I grew up with therapy, but I kind of, I took a hiatus after college. I think therapy is helpful, but I also think that a very similar effect can be had by an amazing community or a great group of friends. Like when we leave a coffee, I feel very similarly to how I feel after I leave a therapy, therapy. session. That's how I feel with you too. So. Yeah, it's it's
0: about having a community of like, like-minded yeah. friends. And that's why I think Jasmine and I connected from day one is because it felt like an amazing therapy session, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's actually a great like lens to look at female friendships for me at least, because I don't have time for surface level conversations anymore, especially being pregnant. I'm very sensitive to people's energies. And if I've come out of a conversation feeling kind of more like released and open and kind of like more playful and just like chill, then that means that person is my type of person.
2: Yeah. I was actually, it's funny, I was driving over the hill to come here and normally I would be really nervous for something like this. Annabelle probably knows Jasmine. It's like, yeah, now you know. <laughs> um, but I was driving over the hill and I I was so excited. Like I was just so excited. I knew that I would leave this conversation feeling so like light and happy and fulfilled. And most conversations you just don't get that from. yeah. I mean, that's so that's the flattering. point. That's, and that's our point. point. That's, that's our point. point. And
0: to that point, um, yeah. not that I want to end this, but we are at time. We could talk to you all day. We need a part two. This was this was so good. <laughs> this, this is, good. This is, so, is exactly this is what, I what I needed I right now. In My Valentine's Day <laughs> break. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but so this is this is <laughs> our Eat <point>. some chocolate. <laughs> this is our point to really be able to put it out there to make you feel comfortable and seen and heard, and for you to have these like open conversations so that you can leave feeling great and released and open. Now putting this back on you, this question, what is your point? What is your why?
2: I want to be really honest and saying like that is just something that I'm still figuring out. And I think that every day my why sort of changes. There are days when I wake up and my response to that would be like, fuck everyone. I want like women to have the same, you know, resources and opportunities that men like I could say that and then another morning I could wake up and say oh my gosh I just want to be soft and I want to be like the most amazing wife but I think in general like I just want to help people and make people feel good and give them the platform to be able to do what they want to do I just honestly I want to be a conduit I want to be a connector that's sort of my why
0: that's beautiful mm-hmm. well thank you so much Kira thank you we thank will you welcome you back anytime, me, anytime if you ever want another therapy free session oh my gosh yes I'm so down no <gasps> thank
2: you guys this was this was phenomenal thank you thank you my dear